Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Amy Wan. Thanks for being on the show again, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Amy uh, was the previous guest. You've probably heard her name. And uh, if you haven't heard her already, you heard her on show uh, WS134. And we're very grateful to have her back to really uh, dig in to some of these, uh, uh, what some people refer to as boring, but uh, they're so important. I mean, it's such a critical part of of this business, and it's important that we know uh, all these uh, details of, of the legal uh, ramification laws and regulations that that are so important to our business. And so, uh, but you know, I, I want you to still know she's the founder and CEO of Bootstrap Legal. Uh, she's authored uh, LexisNexis uh, Private Equity Practice Guide, and uh, she was named one of uh, ten women to watch in legal technology by the American Bar Association uh, Journal in 2014. And uh, Amy, uh, again, thanks again for uh, being on the show and, and helping us all understand. You know, th- it really, it's a uh, seems very complicated stuff. You know, it's like <laughs> it's it's intimidating, right? When people get into this business and and people avoid the syndication business, it seems sometimes because of oh, you know, it's just too complicated. You know, and- I I totally get it. I mean, look, when I was first learning this stuff myself, when I, you know, just started practicing securities laws, I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't get the difference between Title Two and Three and Five Six B and C, and they all sound the same, right? And it's like, when do you use them? You know, when, right? And and I think it's harder for for issuers, for real estate syndicators, to get their hands around it when. You know, they only encounter it once in a while versus, you know, having been an attorney and worked with so many different clients of all different types, you start seeing a lot of different patterns, right? And so what I find most often is that people will call me saying, hey, I want to do a regulation blank offering. And I ask them a couple questions. I'm like, okay, well, you should not do what you called me to do, you should do something else instead, right? It's going to, it's going to work better for you. Um, the way your business is set up right now, all that kind of stuff. It's just, um, it, it's going to be a much harder road for you if you use the one you called about versus the one I'm suggesting. So a lot of this, like it's, it's very much an art, but it's also a science. Okay. Okay, well, I'm I'm ready to dive in, and and uh, you know we're we're going to do just so the listener knows we're going to do a series of shows. And we're going to talk about different aspects of of the legal side that we need to know, and Amy's going to help us to understand. But uh, you know today we're we're going to focus on just the laws and regs around raising capital, and and uh, you know Reg D, Reg C, all these reg letters that we hear that, you know, we don't really understand. We just have to, you know, we trust, you know, our teammate or our attorney uh, to help us and guide us, you know, somebody just like Amy. So, um, you know, Amy, you know, get us started. And, and, you know, as we talked about, I think a good place to start is, you know, knowing the exact difference between accredited, non-accredited investors, and then we're going to get into why that's important to know. Sure. Fantastic. So everything that we're talking about today, we're talking about when folks are raising private capital. Um, when I say private capital, it means they are not going to, you know, um, doing an IPO. They're not going to the New York Stock Exchange. They're not raising publicly from, from the public, right? So in the world of 
private capital markets, there is this concept called an accredited investor. An accredited investor, in the most basic terms, it's just a rich person. That's really all you need to know, right? It does get more technical than that. So the technical definition of an accredited investor is you know, someone who has an annual salary of $200,000 or more if they file their taxes singly or $300,000 more if they file jointly. Or from a net worth perspective, they have more than a million dollars in net worth, excluding their primary residence, right? So we're talking about whatever might be counted as an asset or a liability on their mortgage. But for the intent and purposes of this podcast, all you really have to know is that they are a rich person and that there are different ways to verify whether or not they're a rich person. I wanted to ask, do, do they have to have that income for a certain amount of years or is it just like right now? Yes, the past two calendar years. So if it's like the middle of 2019, well, 2019 doesn't count. It has to be um, uh, 2018 and 2017. Right. So it almost actually sounds like two and a half years, but it's just the past two calendar years. Okay. So we got, so that's an accredited investor. And, you know, do I have to, um, I was going to say, do I have to verify that? But I think we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, or yes. We'll get into that in a minute when we talk about some other stuff. But uh, so non accredited versus accredited. I mean, if they're non accredited, that just means they didn't meet that standard. Is there any other, any other type of investor that we need to know about? Sometimes they're called sophisticated or, you know. Yes. So, you know, we, we just talked about accredited investors. If we're talking about non accredited investors, so people who don't meet those benchmark numbers set by the SEC, then they're considered a non accredited investor, right? And so in the bucket of non accredited investors, there is something that we call a sophisticated investor. And a sophisticated investor, all it really is, is someone that, you know, tends to be a little bit more financially savvy. They understand what they're investing in and the risks of what they're investing in, right? So uh, the sophisticated investor comes into play when we're, we're talking about Rule 56B. And when we talk about the sophisticated investor, we say that you have to have a pre-existing relationship with them, right? So what a pre-existing relationship means is you, and there's different definitions and interpretations, right? The the most classic, I would say, is that you already knew them, right? So it's not some random, you know, email list that you bought off of someone that you've never talked to anyone on that list. It's not your email list where it's, you know, half of them are random people that come to your website that you've never talked to and the other half are people you actually have had some sort of conversation with. Um, this really ends up being um, someone that maybe you've sat down and had coffee with. Maybe you uh, uh, had two phone conversations with them. Maybe in addition to those conversations, you had them take a survey uh, about, you know, you know, what kind of investment opportunities they're interested in, um, you know, how much they have to invest, things of that sort, you know, there is a whole art towards making sure that someone is a pre-existing, uh, someone that someone actually does have a pre-existing relationship with you. You know, I have some syndicator clients who, 
um, they'll use their website to bring in folks, but then everyone who signs up for a newsletter on that website, they will make them take a survey. They call them up twice. And once those two or three steps happen, then they count that person as having a pre-existing relationship with them. And they're the ones who get sent deals. Everyone else, they just get general newsletters. You, you don't touch them for the purposes of uh, soliciting investments. So a couple questions uh, for you. You know, recently I heard someone talking about if, uh, you know, th- this pre-existing relationship is a big deal, right? And it's a big deal that you track this or that that you kn- that you can show that you had a pre-existing relationship when you say, Amy? It is and it isn't, right? Like the, the chances of the SEC coming to actually audit you are not high, right? Depending on what you're doing. But if they do actually come audit you, you, you know, they may ask to see um, proof or documentation that uh, you did have a pre-existing relationship with your non-accredited investors. And if that's the case, it's kind of like, you know, the IRS coming along for, for tax auditing, you better have that documentation or that, that proof. So, so maybe even this past weekend at a conference, um, someone was talking about like they have a, like a Google form that they'll have someone fill out, you know? So like if they go on their website and they say, yeah, I'm I'm a accredited investor, you know, it, it automatically send them this form that asks them specific questions. And if they fill that out, you know, then, you know, they consider them an investor, even though like they, they won't have a conversation with them. And I just, I wondered, you know, you know, is that a pre-existing relationship? I, I do know these things like, okay, I know, you know, maybe mm-hmm. they've invested passively before or, you know, they have this net worth or, you know, whatever. Um, but I've never had a conversation with them. Is that okay? So, you know, um, the SEC does not really come out and say, okay, like these are the steps you have to take to make sure that you have a pre-existing relationship with your investors, right? They will put out guidance, but it really is a very gray area. And so I tell people, you know, um, if you're going to operate in the gray, you kind of want to make sure you're, you know, not quite in the middle, but towards you know, somewhere that's a little bit safer. So, you know, if it's just a little extra work to go and, um, you know, at least have a five, 10 minute conversation with one of these investors, I would say, why not? Yeah. Right. And, and honestly, it's, it's not that hard because let's say, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, when it, when it comes down to real estate syndication, it doesn't matter what you're doing right? The most important thing is that you establish trust with your investors. And trust is a very personal thing. If you're just going to willy-nilly take, you know, capital from people you've never had a conversation with, I, I just don't think that's that's generally um, a great, great idea. Like, you, you definitely want that personal rapport. So even if it's not, like, a legal requirement, it's something you kind of want to do anyway. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, and one other question about that. You know, what about referrals? So let's say I put an offering out. Okay, so now all of a sudden, anybody that invests in this deal, I had to have a pre-existing relationship with, right? So, so, but well, let's say you know a current investor sends that to a friend of theirs, and then now that person wants to invest in in that offering in that deal. You know, is that? I mean, I've never met that person before, but um, but you know. 
you know, I, I had heard reference before, like, you know, you can base it off the, the individual that you do know um, and their history with that person. But I, I don't know. I just felt a little uneasy about that. Right. So um, for broker dealers, they can do that and they can present an offering to someone that the issuer, you know, has not had a, a pre-existing relationship with ever, right? And just sell that deal to them. When it comes to the issuer, um, I mean, this happens all the time in the uh, in the investment industry. It's like, you know, so-and-so is making a great return um, and they tell their friends about it and their friends are like, oh, can you connect me with that person I want to invest to, right? So you definitely can do that, but, you know, um, uh, and, and of course, you know, you should consult your attorney and, and how you do it, you, you should talk to your attorney about, but, but generally you can do that. And, and, you know, it happens all the time. I would just say there's, there's some ways that it shouldn't happen. Like, you know, obviously you shouldn't go in front of a room of people and just try and start selling your offering. Right. Um, but if it's like through a friend of a friend or whatever, um, when they get referred over, you should try and establish a pre-existing relationship with them then. Nice, nice. Okay, so you know we'll move on, but uh, uh, you know Reg D rules five hundred six B and C and those things, and you know, everybody gets confused about. Tell us, you know, why we need to know what those are. Okay, so the first one that we're going to start off with is um, Regulation D, and right re- under Regulation D, there are multiple rules. It used to be that there was only one rule 506 that was, you know, pre-2012. Um, now with the JOBS Act, there are different types of rule 506s. So the the one that's existed for many, many, many years um, prior to even 2012, right now it's called rule 506B, B as in boy. And this one, I would say, is the most important rule for folks to know because, you know, like not over 90% of uh, private capital is raised under Rule 506B, right? So Rule 506B, it's pretty simple. And so when I'm explaining these rules, the one thing I want uh, listeners to keep in mind um, is something I always say, what the SEC giveth, the SEC taketh away, right? So the more slack the SEC gives you in going out to raise capital, the more that they're going to ask for in return. So when it comes to Rule 506B, we can raise as much as we want, right? We can raise from accredited and non-accredited investors, right? It's near instantaneous. Like I don't have to go and ask the SEC for permission to do this type of offering. I just, I do my legal paperwork. And um, after I've raised funds, then I go and I do a free filing with the SEC and, you know, the different states. So it's not mother may I, it's, you know, you, you just tell them later what are they going to ask for us in return, right? So I said you can raise from accredited, non-accredited investors, but you can only raise from up to 35 non-accredited investors. And remember, these non-accredited investors must be sophisticated and you have to have a pre-existing relationship with them. So realistically, what it's really going to look like is you're primarily using accredited investors and then you're probably letting in a couple of friends and family that happen to be non-accredited, right? 
Um, now, when your investors do come in, they have to self-certify that they are an accredited investor, right? And there's different ways to do that. Usually it's through the subscription agreement, which asks them all these different questions um, and asks them to, to say that they are accredited. Now, here's a tip. People lie. People always lie, especially on the internet, right? And so you should leave cushion room for that, right? Um, if it turns out that one of the people who said that they were accredited actually wasn't, then that could potentially put you in hot water, especially if you go over the 35 limit. So I usually tell people, don't take exactly 35 non-accredited investors, take less than that, maybe half at most, right? And then the other thing that you have to be very aware of is rule 506B is your very classic private capital raising exemption. So if you're raising privately, that means you should not be going out to do advertising or what we in like lawyer SEC speak, we say is general solicitation, right? And general solicitation is going out and telling about the offering to um, folks in a very non-targeted manner, advertising, right? So rule 506B tends to work for almost any type of syndicator because, you know, if you have really large deals, you're probably not going to want non-accredited in there anyway, right? Um, and so you can go out and raise really large checks from uh, investors to for, for a very large offering. But at the same time, it's also very good for the person who's just starting off with real estate syndication. Maybe they want to do a sub $1 million um raise. And so they really need to uh, raise money from both their friends and family, but also find some accredited investors to throw into the mix, right? So it's a very good like catch-all type of rule for people to raise under. The next one is called Rule 56C. And prior to... Could I ask you one question before you? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and you had referenced earlier about people lying about being accredited. And so, yes. you know, I, I know that there's got to be people that... I mean, I can't prove it, but they got it, you know, under 506B where they self-certify, uh, you know, they sign saying they're accredited. Uh, and so if they're not accredited, I mean, how would I ever know? Or is that something that... You wouldn't. You know, you wouldn't. Any, is that something I should even like waste time thinking about or worrying about, honestly? No, I mean, the way I usually um, counsel my clients to do it is just, you know, non-accredited investors, just don't take too many of them, right? So that you don't accidentally go over the 35 um, investor limit because you're not going to want to, you know, from a, I mean, could you go and do more deep due diligence? Yes. Will your investor hate you for it? Yes. They're not going to want to show you all the paperwork and, and all that kind of stuff um, to prove that they're accredited, right? And unfortunately, the liability falls on the issuer, the, the syndicator. So I wouldn't waste too much time um, losing sleep over this. I would just not take too many non accredited investors. Okay. Got it? Got it. Cool. All right. So the next one, Rule 56C as in CAT. Um, this one did not exist before the Jobs Act of 2012. Um, and it first uh, became available for use at the end of 2013. So it's very, very similar to Rule 56B that we just talked about. And if we could call this 
rule anything, I would call it accredited crowdfunding, right? Reason being, you know, it's, it's crowdfunding in the sense that you now can go and generally solicit and advertise, right? So go tweet and do LinkedIn and Facebook ads to your heart's content. Go like shout it off from the top of rooftops, um, announce it at meetups, you know, buy ads, social media, whatever you want, right? However, remember that what the SEC giveth, the SEC will asketh something in return. And so what they ask in return is, Now it's accredited investors only. You are not allowed to take those non-accredited 35 uh, investors anymore. Um, Every single person has to be accredited and you actually have to verify their accredited status. So there are different ways you can take to verify, right? Um, In the SEC world, um, you know, this is somewhere where the SEC said, look, There's many different ways where you could verify that they're accredited. We will give you a few examples of ways that, you know, if you follow these steps, you can be sure that uh, we will never come after you um, because, you know, you took the right steps to verify that they were accredited. Everything else, like we can't, we can't promise you that safe harbor. That's what we call it, a safe harbor. But um, it just has to be reasonable, right? And so the rule is you have to take reasonable steps to verify their accredited status. So things that you can do, you can have a CPA write a letter that uh, the investor is accredited. You can have a broker-dealer or an attorney write that letter, right? Um, There are services out there, such as Verify Investor, for example, where uh, they basically have on-demand lawyers who will sign a letter stating that you're accredited. But, you know, obviously they're going to ask you, ask the investor to give over enough uh, paperwork that they can actually verify that, right? So there's multiple ways you can get it done. And aside from those ways, you know, there's, there's other things that uh, investors can show you. But um, if it doesn't fall on that list, then you just have to like, live with the uncertainty. All right. So for rule five, six C. So now we can advertise. We can't take non-accredited investors anymore, but we can still raise as much money as we want. Um, it is also immediately available, right? So as soon as you, you know, have your legal docs or whatever you're doing, you can go out, raise the money. And then you don't ask mother, may I, you just go out, you raise the money. And then afterwards you come back and, Hopefully your attorney does um, what we call a Form D filing with the SEC and then state filings um, at the state level, right? So, you know, and and once I finish all these, talking about all these rules, I'll I'll come back and explain when people use them. But uh, I'll I'll make this note. You know, a lot of people call me saying, hey, I want to do a 506C raise, right? In fact, I want to do all my raises as Rule 506C raises. That's not necessary, and a lot of times it's actually not advisable. They, they're just thinking they want to be able to advertise to raise capital. They right? think like, oh, if I build it, they will come, right? The crowdfunding field of dreams. Um, but money nece- doesn't necessarily you know, fall down from trees like that. And a lot of raising capital is – it's very psychological, right? This is it's, – it's all a game, right? And – to do a 506C for every single one of your offerings, 
is not the best way to optimize that game. And, and I'll, I'll talk about that after we finish going through all the rules. Another one that people mention a lot um, is 504, right? Uh, rule 504. Um, and it, it, you know, on face, it does look like one of those rules where it's like, oh, suddenly I can raise money from non-accredited investors a lot more easily. It's not really worth it mostly because you have to go through a state-by-state process and it's very difficult a lot of times to make sure that you're still in compliance with the exemption because a lot of times, so, you know, a lot of times people raise under certain rules, like the 506 rules that I just talked about, because you can literally raise from all 50 states and not worry, right? Um, 504 is not that way. Um, and so it tends to be a lot less popular. Um, very seldom do I see people raising money under it. Same thing as there are state exemptions, right? So everything I've talked about so far, these are all federal exemptions, um, which means, you know, all these, they, they operate under federal preemptions. So that means federal law takes precedent over state law. So it doesn't matter what the state says except for the fact that at the very end, you have to like pay them this, you know, blue sky filing fee. But, you know, basically if you use the five, six exemptions, you're good in all 50 states. If you use a state exemption, you are basically limited to the, not only the rules of that exemption, but you can only take investors from that particular state, Right. And so also very seldom do we ever see people use state exemptions. The only exception I would say is if, if the syndicator and their entire network of investors all tend to come from one state, right? So, and, and it tends to be states where there tends to be a lot more capital. And, and really across the U.S., there's only a couple of states where there's a lot of capital. California... Texas, New York, um, Illinois, Florida are some examples, right? Wyoming to a certain extent. After that, if, if you are in a state where there's not a lot of rich people, um, you're, you're probably definitely going to be using um, one of the federal exemptions. I hope you are enjoying the show with Amy Wan. You will hear part two of this show tomorrow. She has a wealth of knowledge and just continued answering many questions uh, that we all need to know uh, in the syndication business. I hope you have joined the Facebook group, The Real Estate Syndication Show, and I hope you will go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me as well. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.